Hello and welcome to the Heart of the Piano podcast, uh, where we're exploring the world of piano. I'm Bob Rose and uh, I'm really excited today because uh, uh, I'm here today with my old piano teacher, Benjamin Frith, who is just really one of the the, the best pianists that, that I've ever heard. Uh, and I'm, I don't just give platitudes out like that. Uh, I've, I, if I don't uh, mean something. I generally don't say it, but uh, some of the CDs that, that Ben's recorded, I remember at the time in the in the various like things like the Penguin um, Guide to to Classical CDs, were constantly referred to as the CDs to, that you had to own of, of those particular works. Uh, anyway, so hi Ben. Hi. <laughs> nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you because we haven't really been in touch uh, much at all since since you taught me. How long ago? Like twenty years ago? Something crazy? Yes, like I that? think I think I was teaching at Huddersfield University up to about ninety seven. Mm. Something about that. Yeah. So it was during the nineties. I was there. It was my first proper job, really, because really? you know getting getting to Huddersfield by nine a.m. Which they seem Ouch. to, they seem to, um, insist on that. And I live way out in Worksop in North Nottinghamshire. Oh. So I remember getting up very early and getting there and, uh, but I enjoyed the job very much. Yes. And I probably would still be there, but I was offered a job at Manchester. Yes. At uh, the RNCM. Right? Yes. Yeah. So I, I took that and moved on, but it's not because I didn't like Huddersfield. <laughs> and Huddersfield's been a big center for musical life. You know, the, the contemporary music festival, the wonderful music society, which mm. I played at many times, in fact, twice last year. Mm. And throughout my youth, I was always, even, even when I was at Leeds University, I, I used to have a very good friend who played flute at Huddersfield, where it was then Polytechnic. And I used to go and play for his exams and play with him. And I was always over there and he'd come over to Leeds. And, mm. So it's been a big part of my life. And I've got friends there still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Hopefully, we'll come back to to Huddersfield at some point. Mm. But one of the the reasons why I particularly wanted to to chat with you on on the podcast uh, uh, now is uh, we've just had the Leeds Piano Competition, mm. uh, which was really really super interesting. Now Ben has um, a really really interesting links with the competition. Well, you were a competitor for for two years, uh, mm. I think. And Ben's teacher uh, uh, was, is Fanny Waterman. Mm. Do, does she still teach you at the moment? Well, we're still very much in touch, put uh-huh. it that way. And um, I would be very surprised if I visited her house without playing the piano okay. and her saying something about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was supposed to be the first year that, that she had retired from the competition, but she didn't look like she'd retired. <laughs> well, obviously, she'll be passionately interested in it still because she's put so much of her life into it and um, I'm sure she wants it to go from strength to strength Mm. Um, but I mean obviously it's got very professional and great musicians looking after it now so Mm. that can only be a good thing and um, let's just hope for the best unfortunately I was working at the time of the competition so I, I wasn't able to attend like I normally do Mm. Um, but uh, am I right in thinking that, that three years ago, the last competition, you were um, the, one of the uh, uh, people introducing everything for for the BBC? That was, I think, that was a bit further back, maybe six or nine years oh, ago. Okay. It was one. It wasn't last time. It was when Schwitz Gable came second. Uh-huh. So whenever that was, okay. maybe that was six years or nine years. So yes, I remember doing that with Kathy Stott for yes. Radio Three. Uh-huh. And that was great fun, actually. Um, yes. Uh, um, and we were at one side of the town hall on the balcony and Nariko Agawa and someone else was at the other side for television. We were the radio. <laughs> oh, OK, OK. Yeah, nice. <laughs> but I remember saying in one of the... We were in the studio with Petro Trelawney and I, I was on about going through F major and D minor and things like that and... And the producer came up and said, don't talk about keys. <laughs> on Radio 3? Yeah. <laughs> Do they think many people are going to be listening on Radio 3 who don't know what keys are? Well, anyway, I wasn't <laughs> supposed to talk about keys, so that was okay. it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the Leeds has been a big part of my life because perhaps without the competition, I would have never known, my parents wouldn't have known about Fanny Waterman. Mm. And it was my mother's idea to go there 
to her as a 10-year-old for advice. So we wrote to her and we went for advice and ended up with her taking me on as a student. So, you know, that was a big time in my life and we wouldn't have known about her but for the competition, Mm. even though she was, you know, she'd had immense success with her pupils in the late 50s, early 60s. And so... Mm. Were um, those method books of hers out by then as well? I think there was the first year piano lessons. Mm. I remember with Jeremy Barnett on the front, the architect's son, and because my dad was an architect too. Uh-huh. And so we knew about him because his father had designed the Merrion Centre in Leeds, which was then <laughs> one of the first shopping centres. And he was a very good pianist. I think he became a, a barrister or something later. I met him at the Hockney Gallery when I played about... 25 years ago anyway um uh yes there was that book out and i remember fanny saying now look how uh, he used to have a lesson before me and it, and the boy on the front cover and he said look how his fingers are bent then <laughs> and your fingers aren't bent enough and we'd be doing beethoven sonatina in g and um so i was to have a better hand position and uh yeah, so gradually I'm, I kind of imbibe the kind of Waterman methods. Mm. And, uh, cause I, I, I must, she said I had very straight fingers and I didn't have a clue how to pedal properly and things like <laughs> that. I mean, I was already 10, 11, you see, when I went. So I'd got into all kind of habits. Mm. I basically learned from, from listening to gramophone records. Ah, that was that the, explains that, so much. Okay. Yeah, that was the window on for me uh, into classical music because oh. I loved recordings of Foot Song, his Chopin, uh, things like that. So sorry of who? Foot Song. How do you spell that? Well, it's um, F O U. Yeah. And then I think his surname is T, capital T, uh, probably apostrophe S O N G. Okay. That he was the first of the Far Eastern pianist to come over. Mm-hmm. I think he had a Russian teacher and he was absolutely marvellous. Mm. He's still alive. And he's very famous for his shop on mazurkas. And so I would just copy the rubato from these mazurkas. Ah. And uh, I didn't know why I was doing it. I just liked it. And, I, and he was obviously a wonderful pianist. So I used to copy the rubato. And I had a very nice local teacher up from seven and a half to ten. And she would... She probably let me get away with too much, but yeah. um, uh, but I think she was a pretty good teacher. And um, but I remember her saying that if I did go to Fanny Waterman, she'd keep me on this piece for at least a month. I wouldn't be going from one piece to the next every week. Yes, <laughs> and she, she certainly did keep you on pieces for plenty of time. Yeah. So she didn't let you get away with anything. No, no, no. <laughs> it was all. Um, yes, I mean, Fanny's preparation is very, whatever she does, she does to the best of her ability. And she's very thorough. She's never in a panic. And uh, this is part of her nature. And I've watched her work on the Leeds competition because for many, for over 20 years, I was helping her with the screening Mm -hmm. before the pianists come to Leeds. So there would always be anything from 200 to 300 pianist to listen to mm-hmm. back in the early days tapes then cds then dvds and um you know she really she's very thorough and methodical but it, i think what's interesting i didn't realize when i first went for piano lessons that she had this other side to her this organizational side mm. and i only thought she was a, a great pianist and an artist which she is but then she has this other side where she can organise things and deal with people Mm. and uh, deal with every detail. Mm. And this is very impressive because, you know, I mean, I remember seeing one interview with Gerald Moore and they said they wanted him to run something and he ran a mile because he never organised anything. (laughs) So there are some people who can do both. Mm. And uh, Fanny's one of those people. But the, the Leeds kind of had a huge part of my life because we went up to hear the stages when I was a teenager and then when I actually went in for it I didn't enjoy it as much 
as I hoped. Yeah. It was, uh, I always used to say it's like British tennis players at Wimbledon, but I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I used to say. Anyway, but I didn't enjoy it and I had to kind of go abroad where I wasn't known mm. and there was less pressure because of that to mm. do my best. So like for the Pisoni. Uh, yes, exactly. I, yeah. I kind of fell in love with Bolzano when I went there. Mm. Had this wonderful train ride from Munich down through the Dolomites. And the, it was much more romantic than me going in the car to Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Italy's amazing. And yeah. then later going to Israel, you know, <clears throat> because I thought of my Jewish grandfather and... I thought, well, I'm in a sense coming home. Mm. And so that's for the Rubenstein. For the Rubenstein. Yeah. So again, so it was a different, entirely different experience. Mm. So, you know, maybe I shouldn't have gone in for the Leeds competition, but a lot of pi- British pianists make that mistake. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so, so just for, just for listeners as well, I was, I was actually just, um, brushing up on, uh, I got the, the book with the history of the Leeds, uh, the oh, yeah. piano competition. So, so I think when, when you did the, um, the Busoni competition, you got joint first? It was joint second. Oh, joint they didn't, second. The joke was they always save the money once every three years. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, it was, uh, I think I had a slight memory slip in the slow move to the Hammerclavier, a silly little thing in a really easy passage. And, um, that maybe they didn't want to give me the first prize because of that. Okay. And the, there was a Yugoslav boy who I tied with, mm-hmm. who was marvellous, but he was playing in the final. He played, I played Beethoven 4, which I knew very oh, well, nice. but he was playing Brahms 1 for the first time. So he probably didn't do his very best mm. in the final. So there was a little bit of, you know, they weren't sure. So they gave us a joint second prize and we did some very nice concerts in Italy afterwards. Uh, together mm. and um, and uh, he went to New York eventually I think he's made a, um, a musical life there and mm. um, I got an agent in Italy afterwards eventually and took a while but eventually I started playing in Italy and that, that was great but I wasn't qu- quite ready for the kind of solo life mm. Wow. Where they always said you played and then they said complimenti, complimenti. And then you'd go back to your hotel and you'd no one to talk to, you know. Yeah. And I didn't, I've never been a great linguist, so I didn't know the language. And um so, yes, I mean, I love the beautiful old Italian villages and towns, mm. but um uh, it was an experience. But it, um in the end, uh the... My agent there became, he wanted to open a music store and he gave it up and it was very difficult to find someone else because when you're a a prize winner, straight away there's a lot of interest. Mm. But then that interest wanes because then there's another prize winner. Mm. Yes, yes. (laughs) So, but uh, I went back with Peter Hill a few years ago to Milan and played there two piano recital that was great fun mm. and I thought oh I must have been missing this but of course until you go there you don't realize what you're missing <laughs> mm. but then from what you're saying it's not so bad when you're going with someone else no no lonely. no no I you know I was still pretty young and it, it's uh I'd only really traveled because of piano competitions mm. I mean my parents took us on two foreign holidays when we were very young and then that was it and um so I only really travel, I've only really traveled because of the piano and music. Mm. And I have traveled a lot, but rarely on a holiday. <laughs> yes. Mm. Yes. So I, yeah, I enjoyed going to Italy. Yeah. I enjoyed that very much. And, and where did you place in the, the Rubenstein? That was a, a joint, um, yes, first, that was different. That was joint first. Ah, yes. And I was probably one of the oldest competitors in the competition and Ian Fountain was, probably one of the youngest whether we were the oldest I don't know but I can sense a rival and I knew (laughs) that there's no way I was going to shake this young man off he was (laughs) far too talented and even though I was tipped in the first stage I knew that it was you know this was uh, going to be a battle to the last (laughs) and so 
the, it's not a very pleasant situation to be in. And unfortunately, if you're less competitive, it's probably better because then you don't mind. But if you are competitive, then you do mind. <laughs> you know, it's like playing your brothers at snooker. If you lose, it feels like death. So I didn't want to lose. And um, anyway, so we both won. But the competition said they'd never have that again because right. it was so difficult organizing the engagements after the yeah uh it wasn't the money that was the problem it was organizing the engagements and who got what and all mm, the rest of it mm. i remember we both went to savannah georgia in the states and both played there that was very nice but uh yes i but it did open up my career a lot that <laughs> it did open up my career uh, basically i managed to start recording that was the main thing mm. It gave people an excuse to say, well, this boy ought to be allowed to record mm. commercially. And it got me into the BBC mm. onto mm. Radio 3 because I had done, as a youngster, I'd done quite a few BBC auditions, but they always said, well, he's very good, but a bit musically immature. They always used to say that. But right. I remember Jane Clark, my agent at that time, saying, well, now you've won an international competition. They can't not have you on the BBC. Mm. So I did. I, I, I did. So was that always doing... a goal of yours to be on the BBC? Well, actually, when I was young, the thought of being recorded used to horrify me. <laughs> it used to horrify me. Mm. And um, <clears throat> because, you know, it's there and then that's it. And uh, but, but, but you were very comfortable performing uh, but already. A- actually, yes, yes. Live performance was something I grew up with, but mm. recording, because I hadn't done much of it, and and uh, I'd done the odd um, local radio thing, you know. But eventually, when I actually came to do it, it's been one of the most enriching parts yeah. of my musical life. I mean, I've just loved it, and uh, I, you've got something to show for your something to show for your hard work. Yeah, I hate recording anything. What what? Do you have like particular psychological <laughs> tricks, if you like? Well, what, what, what gets you into the right state of mind for, for recording? Yeah, well, I mean, there's two types of recordings. There's the live recording and there's the studio recording. Mm-hmm. So they are rather difficult, different from each mm. other. I mean, sometimes live is not quite live because they kind of listen to you rehearse and tape it all and then in the evening you do the live so if ah. anything went wrong they could use something from the day mm. so there's that kind of live but there's the live radio broadcast which mm. you know when you play the Wigmore Hall and they tape it and mm. um, that goes out whatever happens mm. and uh, yes I mean you know you just have to you just have to prepare the best you can and <laughs> what what can you do you know it's just but you just brace yourself <laughs> mm-hmm. but the studio recording is is a very uh, kind of you know sometimes you're in there for three days doing a, a long cd mm. of big pieces and um, you have to have the kind of stamina and the mm. concentration to keep going for a long time and so it's full of light a little bit highs and lows you you know you might feel um one stage in the day, it's not going so well. Mm. And, um, but, uh, you, you have this goal in sight at the end that you want to do this CD mm. and you know, you're going to do it whatever. Mm. So it's just something I, I suppose I've got used to. Mm. And we have done a lot of CDs. I mean, first my solo CDs in the nineties. And then when I joined the Gould piano trio, so many CDs with the trio in the trio so um you know it's been a big part of my life and uh i find you find a lot about the music in those situations you find a lot about yourself about your maybe little weaknesses you didn't know about mm. and and you also find a lot about the music and you get closer to the music um yeah i mean it's well, i've had very happy memories moments particularly in recent years at champs hill where we've recorded where david and mary bauman have hosted they've hosted hundreds of young musicians through to people like um um you know great singers um i can't remember people's names (laughs) anyway but um uh 
they've done so much for musicians mm-hmm. and um and we've you know they give you dinner in the evening and lunch and all that. it's it's really nice hospitality and you get to know everybody and um, there's lovely gardens and there's art to look at and mm. so it's it, the whole experience is very pleasurable mm. it's not like walking into a studio with white walls and you know that's it there's a piano. Mm. Mm. so it's a nice ex- it's a nice place part of the world to be in in West Sussex there. That's interesting. So I'm, I'm guessing there's not many studios that make that whole environment part of the, the whole experience. No. Mm. No, it's because it's a privately owned thing and we're just very lucky to know them. Mm-hmm. And um, and they are they just want to do it for young musicians. Oh, nice. Of course, I can't, can't call myself a young musician anymore. <laughs> but I must have been just young enough to get in there at one yeah. stage. <laughs> well, but well, it's well, lasted 20 years, really. Yeah. yeah. They, they've been doing it for 20 years and I've been there at least 15 of those, you know, mm. doing recordings, yeah. So what, what are some of the recordings that, that for you have been the most musically rewarding? Well, um, I think uh, when I was young, the, um, the field recordings were very... Mm. They were very... Well, the, the nocturnes were very relaxing and I remember having to do them twice because suddenly there was a new digital way of recording. Oh. And so my producer, Gary Cole, wanted to do them again, even though the recording came out fine, he wanted to do them again digitally. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, <laughs> I've got to do all this again because I was quite happy with it. But we did do that and I think it was a good idea. Mm. That was a beautiful recording st- a place to record again at Wood East Woody in Newbury, mm. big church, and the piano was gorgeous. Uh, it was owned by Jeff Shackle, and it had a slight issue with the repetition, not the best repetition, but the sound was absolutely wonderful. Mm. So I loved it for that repertoire. And um, and then I went on to do the concertos in on a rather worn out Steinway in in uh, Gateshead with the Northern Symphonia, mm. now the Royal Northern Symphonia. Mm. And that was um, that was certainly more challenging, but it was great fun to do these concertos, which had a lot of kind of classical technique in them. Mm. And I'd done a lot of Mozart and Beethoven, so I felt I felt equipped to do that. Mm. And yes, it was just great to explore that repertoire because I didn't really know it before then. Everything was a new thing. Mm. And uh, I think they're actually reissuing them in a box uh, this January. So, Well, for, for listeners, um, uh, we're talking about the, the John Field recordings on Naxos, which really were incredibly highly, uh, still very highly regarded as, as being pretty much the recordings to have, uh, I think. Uh, yeah. And and I, I remember when went back when I had lessons from you, that I, I've I've always thought it was criminal that you'd never recorded any Chopin because your Chopin is just 
amazing. And I can't listen to many pianists play Chopin. Um, <laughs> I think most pianists just don't really get it. Mm-hmm. And you, you, it, it is just so in your bones, uh, amazing Chopin. Well, that's very nice. <laughs> Maybe we'll just leave it to everyone's imagination. <laughs> but, I mean, I must say that Chopin was my first love mm. in classical music. My first love in music was the Beatles, because mm. I was basically born into that era. Mm. So born 1957, and where I used to get all the singles, and I just loved it all. But then my mother bought me a recording of Chopin, once we were in workshop, just out mm-hmm. shopping, mm-hmm. Uh, vinyl, and it had all the famous numbers on. And I didn't know any classical music then when I was about seven mm. or eight or maybe. And um, I just fell in love with this record and that's what started me off. Um, and who then who we was got, playing, do you remember? I don't... Valeska or something? I don't uh. know. But then I got Sergio Frentino. And oh, he became yes, quite... Yes. A, I became quite a fan of his. Mm. I had his waltzes. 19 waltzes, including all the posthumous ones. I don't think I've heard this Chopin. I've heard this Rachmaninoff, which is very good. Yeah. uh, yeah. He was... One uh, Italian pianist told me he was the greatest Italian pianist, but he must have been accepting, you know, Michelangelo, I don't know. But uh, Mm. he was a very great talent, and I had his preludes. And I remember when I first heard the preludes as a boy, eight or nine or whatever I was, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is really different. Chopin mm. from the one, the one, you know, the more popular pieces that I'd loved up mm. to now. And it must have been the austerity of that second prelude. I, I didn't remember you telling me about this yeah. one. Yeah. yeah and, uh, you know, it could have been Bartok for all I know. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, I remember you telling me that it literally like gave you really, um, profound nightmares. <laughs> it was that disturbing. Yeah. With the, it, well, they are very dark, some of them, aren't they? And, um, but I've never actually, you know, done the preludes. I've always loved them. Mm. That I think there's some things that you're fated not to do in your life because the piano repertoire is so vast that it's impossible you're for everybody. You're fated not to play those? Well, you, you, there's just not time because, right. you see, if you're in the profession, which I've been luckily for so many, for 40 odd years, then, you know, you're always working to a deadline. Mm. You've always got something to learn. Like this morning, I've been looking at Britain's cello and piano sonata right. which I'm revising for a concert in Birmingham with Alice Neary and um, so you know there something a big project like the preludes mm. you know you're not going to just put that together in a few weeks you've got to have mm. a lot of time how long would the preludes take you to prepare as a project know, you see yeah I mean I'd I'd like at least a year or something really? to, to kind of imbibe it you know so i think this is a question that particularly loads of amateurs have which is like when you're a professional how long does it take you to learn something i don't know i mean i don't know i'm just that's off the top of my head but i mean i think you know sometimes you could work at something for many years behind the scenes and mm. people just don't know i mean when i was a teenager my teacher said fanny said um Let's learn the hammerclavier. I've never taught it, and so I think <laughs> I was eight. I was eighteen. Epic. Yeah, yeah, I was eighteen. At and, eighteen, wow. and I kind of we learned the first month, the second month, then we learned the slow month, and then I remember learning the fugue when I got to Leeds University. I was learning the fugue. That's a hell of a thing to learn at that age. Yes, but I mean, it's a good age to learn it because you know you you learn well at that age. Mm, mm. And I did the Liszt sonata age from sixteen to seventeen. Oh wow! So this was from eighteen to ninety, and um, so it was, it was a great project. It was a great mm. project, and then I ended up playing it. I didn't play it till I was about nineteen or twenty mm. or something. That yeah. slow movement is incredible. It could almost be Chopin. Yes, it's, it's yes. unbelievable. Yes, it's so expressive, isn't it? Mm. I love the way Beethoven looks into the future and he also mm. looks to the past. Mm. And he also mocks his contemporaries a few times. So when when does he do this? When does he... Well, I mean, as you say, those those wonderful melodies in the slow moment, this is... If you take 111, he's always looking forward to jazz. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And... Um, they almost like bebop lines. Some of yes, them. Yeah. and and then he looks back 
in Opus 109 to... No, 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 but I mean, when he's, when he's mocking his contemporaries... Oh, the mocking the contemporaries. That. Well, I feel... Yeah, he's kind of... Um, he, you know, he wasn't into uh, virtuosity for its own sake, like many mm. of his contemporaries. But then he can't help using some of their little things and he puts them in. Right, right. <laughs> As if to say, well, I can do that too. <laughs> so let's give us some examples. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. Well, uh, you know, it's like Mozart with his. Uh, he said he didn't like Clementi's thirds. Right. He didn't like Clementi's, but what? So you suddenly get thirds in <laughs> K four fifty. So um, yeah, I feel that. Um, yes, I mean, in the Eroica variations, there's the the skips. Um, where he's he's doing the skips and he he pretends to make a wrong note on the top. He has this right. grace note, and it's almost like a joke, like he's he's parodying a uh, kind okay. of pianist who's trying to show off, but he uh, can't okay. quite do it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, uh-huh. it's something like that. I I remember in some lessons, um, uh, uh, Ben would be uh, playing Beethoven and. With so much humour, just like going, look, look at the, the humour that's in this. I remember, was it something from the, the, the Diabelli, um, variations oh, yes. where you were talking about this very Germanic, uh, beer drinking kind of section? Yeah. I can't remember which yeah. bit that was. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I always loved like the, the humour that, that you were bringing to a lot of Beethoven, which you don't normally associate with Beethoven. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's as if Haydn invented the humour in music mm-hmm. and it was such a big feature of his and, um, Beethoven kind of took it on. It's not the same as Haydn's. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I feel it, it's, um, I always liked sad music, but when you discover the classical composers, you get as much pleasure mm. from the humorous music as you do from the sad music. Mm. And mm. whenever I used to go and hear the Lindsay Quartet play, they always very often used to start with Haydn. And for me, that was the highlight of right. the concert many times. Uh-huh. But I used to look around and not many people in those days were kind of looking as though they enjoyed it that much. <laughs> but, and, I, and I always used to In watch, those days, do they enjoy it more now? I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd really like to come back to chatting about the, the leads. Uh, yes, if we can. Sure, so, yeah. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I was brushing up on the history of this from the book last yeah. night. So you entered, what, what was the first year that you entered? 81. 81. And you, you were saying before that you really didn't enjoy those. Not really. No, because, you know, when you go abroad, you, you're with the other competitors. Right. And you mix with them and meet them. And How that's that all part of, so much? but you see, for me, I was living too close ah, near Sheffield. So, you didn't stay at so I didn't, Hall. I know. Oh. No, so I, I missed all that. Anyway. Yeah, I know I oh. should. No, it, well, I think it's probably, you know, my, my mum wanting to keep me at home. <laughs> but you know, but it, anyway, it didn't work out. It wasn't good. So I didn't get the experience of a competition oh. properly because that's all what it's about, isn't it? Because we yes, it's a competition, but you have the opportunity to meet people, mm. other pianists from other countries, and hear them and all the rest of it. Ah. So yes, it was. I missed out on all that side of it. Right. So there we are. What know. about musically? What was your uh, what's your recollection uh, from your own playing? How did you enjoy it musically? Well, I just enjoyed the things that went well. And the first <laughs> stage in 1987 went very well. And that was the year Vladimir Ovchinikov won. Yeah. And uh, so I enjoyed so that. So where did you, because I think in 1981, you, um, after the first round, you then went out. And then yes. in 1987, where did you place? Because I, I don't I, know I, I went that. into the second round. Right, okay. Yeah. But then I I had the outdoor suite of Bartok play and I'd only just learnt it and I wasn't 100% sure. It's very difficult to memorise. In mm. fact, I once read in recent years i read a an article a letter that bartok wrote uh or said to him when he said oh it's impossible to memorize don't bother <laughs> in the night's music you know when he okay. keeps giving back so um uh yeah i was a bit uptight about that but the first round went very well so i was very happy to go but it's all 
I think it's all about being inspired, you know, and I, I obviously didn't feel inspired. Mm. And um, So you think a, a lot of that is luck, essentially, well, to be inspired? There is there's a certain, I am a little bit of a fatalist and uh, it just, uh, it just wasn't meant to be. Mm. And, uh, you, you know, how you are pressure? in different places, probably might have been too much pressure. How you are in different environments, in different places, in different periods of your life, you know, mm. it, it, it's, it does affect the way you play. Mm. And uh, when you're in a good place in your life, then it, that can be in a good place for your music. And mm. sometimes, you know, life hits you in different ways and uh, it's, it does affect your music. So, um, you know, that's just life. It's the same for everybody. Mm. Same. We're not just automatons who always play the same every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm. But no, I mean, I always enjoyed listening. When I was a teenager, we used to go up and listen to hours and hours of, uh, and sometimes it would be quite amusing because... Some piece that my mother disliked, like the third Prokofiev sonata, we would listen to six times in an afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but you know, it got me familiar with the the 20th century repertoire and the Bartok mm. sonata you'd hear a lot in those days. Mm. Um, but uh, often we never heard the winner until the final, or sometimes we didn't because we were just unlucky. You didn't hear the winner yes. because you couldn't be up there all the time. We yes. lived at 45 miles away. And, uh, but it was, uh, I probably became too, um, the Leeds competition was actually too big a part of my, uh, thinking process because I'd seen these wonderful winners like Murray Pariah mm. and Radu Lupu mm. and particularly Pariah. And, um, he was held up as this shining example, which of course he is. Mm. And so it's, but you see, he was someone who was coming from America. It's quite different. And uh, he made a great career after the Leeds. And so this was always something to live up to. Mm. But, you know, we're all different and we, we can't be somebody else. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking today as I, I was listening to, just because I had a spare half an hour, I listened to um, Alfred Brendel play the um, Eroica Variations. And it, it's a marvellous recording. And I just thought, there's no point in trying to ape him. You know, you can be influenced, but you can't ape anybody. Mm. You're only yourself. I remember saying to David Cooper, who was one of my friends at <coughs> Leeds University, he became dean eventually, mm -hmm. and he's just retired, that, you know, why am I trying to play Beethoven 4? There's all these marvellous recordings of Beethoven 4. What, what am I doing? You know, what's the point mm. of me playing and he said, well, every time you go to the instrument, you're being completely unique. Mm. We're, we're all unique. And so we've all got something to say. We can't all be Murray Pariahs. Well, I mean, I think those are some really interesting points because, I mean, this, this goes to a, a huge conversation about the entire state of the, the modern contemporary world of recording classical music where everyone is constantly trying to record these same pieces over and over again. Yeah. Um, are there actually still ways that you can that, that people really can make these unique and, and their own is this a healthy thing for classical music to be constantly trying to play well, the same I, pieces I, I always think it's like Shakespearean actors you know <clears throat> they'll always want to do Shakespeare mm. and they'll always want to do Beethoven and I think that's fine I mean nowadays they're experimenting going on to the for a long time on to the earlier instruments contemporary instruments mm. which is I just bought Melnikov's Debussy the other day on an Erard from 80, uh, 1885. Right. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Marvellous recording. Um, his Debussy Preludes. Wow, so the authentic music movement is now up to Debussy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's up to Debussy. Yeah, yeah. Roger Norrington brought it up to Schumann. And, yeah, yeah. Well, I think he even brought it up to Mahler. Yes, it's, it's everywhere. Mm. And uh, what's really interesting is that Authenticity can, authenticity can be staring you in the face like Richter's Prokofiev, say, because yeah, he knew Prokofiev yeah, and yeah. Uh, um, Benjamin Britten and Rostopovich. You know, you can listen mm. to their recordings of his cello sonata. Um, it's everywhere. Mm. Um, but I, I've always liked listening to the old recordings and uh, people like Schnabel 
um, I think that was a great age in piano playing. Mm. Yeah, I'm completely can't remember what. Oh yes, we were talking about the Lees, was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I do. I do remember reading oh, yes. recently a yeah. criticism mm. of competitions in general. Which is that, that to do well in competitions, you have to spend huge amounts of time, young, learning giant chunks of core repertoire. Yeah. Now, is that a healthy thing necessarily? I think the repertoire has become freer over the years. Mm. I remember when I went to uh, the competition as a boy to listen, it was very prescri- pres- prescriptive. Mm. There were... The first stage was all the classical things, and then you had to do a late Beethoven in the second stage, mm. and then there was it had to do a, a big twentieth-century work, and only when you got to the semi-final did you could you choose what you wanted. Mm. Mm. But but then I think the competitions were very much in competition with each other to mm. get the competitors, so they started to relax the rules and. You could play. They still wanted the etudes mm. in the first stage, but it, it became much freer. Mm. So you could show your own individuality. Mm. But yes, I mean, I, I think it, I don't, I, I just think, you know, these great pieces will always be played mm. because you, people will want to play the Appassionata. They'll, they'll want to play Schumann Carnival, you know, mm. it's, it's, it's there to be conquered. Mm. <laughs> but finding the the less well-known things like those field concertos I recorded mm. and things like the Weber concertos I recorded. Mm. Terribly interesting mm. because you find out who the contemporaries were of the great masters, mm. and in recent years it's Hummel I've done quite a lot of. Oh, we yes. did uh, the Gould Trio. We did all the the his trios, seven trios. They were hilarious because they were full of quotes from Hyde and, and Beethoven, particularly right, right. little quotes, uh-huh. and uh, which kind of tailed off into something else, and that was very amusing. Uh, so I've always find both. I like to do pieces which aren't like when I was young. I did. I rec- the, my first record was the Diabelli Variations. Yeah, and in that, those in those days, days it wasn't so played these days you know it's becoming Mm. more in the standard repertoire but it wasn't played so much in those days and that was a big adventure for me Mm. yeah it was a year maybe absolutely glowing reviews glowing yeah it was about a year after the rubinstein competition and i'd learned the piece before the rubinstein competition Mm. and uh, and then we had the chance to record it on asv yes which was Thanks to the Mayfield Arts Valley Trust, Tony Thornton, who was then doing that, and Peter Cropper, who recommended me for that. So it was thanks to my um, association with the Lindsay String Quartet Mm -hmm. and um, being in Sheffield. And I used to go to all their concerts. And uh, yes, it was uh, just... um, Right place at the right time, I suppose. But uh, I'd always been interested in the piece. I'd loved Brendel's early recording of it. And uh, it's. Just, I think, you know, late Beethoven, is it is an acquired taste. And uh, when I first heard the string quartets, you know, I, I, having heard 
loved the Razumovskis and then you hear the late ones for the first time, you are pretty shocked mm. from that kind of change of style. But um, the late piano works, I think, are, are easier. Mm. And I always loved the Diabelli. I always loved the um, Hammerklavier. Mm. And uh, I think Fanny really enjoyed working on those with me. Mm. And uh, she was brilliant, particularly mm. on the Hammerklavier, how she got me to play that fugue as well as I did at my debut in the Wigmore Hall, age 23, I don't know. <laughs> so how did but she get you to do that? <laughs> I think she's just, uh, she kind of unravels things uh-huh. and patiently, and she doesn't work on things just um, like a Cherny study. Everything is with the music in mind. Mm-hmm. The technique is always in the service of the music. Mm-hmm. And I think that was what was really good about her teaching. I mean, we didn't do a lot of etudes. And then when we had to do etudes for mm-hmm. the for the competition, she suddenly said, well, you think I don't like etudes, but I do. <laughs> she said to play with courage for two minutes. Uh-huh. And so there we are. So we had to do some etudes. But generally, she wasn't an etude person. And, and you weren't pulled to the etudes already by that point. I always loved the Chopin etudes. Yeah. I used to listen to Corto's recording and mm. actually I love them as music. Mm. I thought they're, they're some of the greatest music ever written, the most exciting and expressive music. And of course, they're horribly difficult. And um, I, you know, I admire anybody who can play all those etudes, but I only did a few. And um, I was only teaching two yesterday. Mm. at Manchester and it was fascinating because you know I was saying because there's all those notes but what's the harmonic progression what's the melody Mm. what's the sound Mm. and uh, these things are so important I mean when we did Opus 10 number 4 Fanny said it's an an exercise in balance Mm. between the voices Um, between the the voices or the hands the voices within well the hands yes the voices are the hands yeah So yeah, I always loved the I always loved the pieces. I remember and you I nagging me to learn the the uh, the second. Uh, oh yes, with, with the chromatics, yes. with the third, fourth, fifth fingers. And do you know what? I've only just been able to start learning that. <laughs> it's well, this is this is one of those pieces they say you either can play or you can't play. And I've I I love it. I've always practiced it, mm. but I'm I don't feel as I can play it in public. <laughs> there are certain pianists who can just rattle it off and it's absolutely marvellous. There's an amazing uh, it, video of Mitsuko Oshida in her young days playing that, which is well, there unbelievable. You are. But, there you are. Yeah, um, it's, it's a certain flexibility you need. And uh, I, the 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 joke was is that Richter tried to play it all his life and then gave up. <laughs> I think Horvitz said that. Uh, because Gavrilov, his protégé, could play it absolutely wonderfully. So mm, Richter was always mm. trying to play it in... Uh, practicing in secret and he never managed ah. to uh well, but, you yeah. know i've been looking at it for for a few years and um a few months ago uh, i went on a week-long silent meditation retreat and yeah. the theme of this retreat was basically just it was called just sit and normally i like learning you know meditation techniques and stuff but the mm. whole point of this is just don't do anything don't try any techniques don't do, you know mm. use them when you need to but just let go of all the striving to do anything and yeah. just sit there and just be. Anyway, I got home from that and I could play it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing. You've got to be absolutely yes. without tension to yes. play that. It's one of those things that you actually can do if you're in the right state. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. yes. Um, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of, you have to be very, if you're putting it down on a program, you know, you've got to be oh really my sure. God. I, I, I'm, I don't know when I'd ever be ready to play that in public. I, I, I always think that you, in a way you've got to be too prepared to um, give a concert of anything. You've always got mm. to be fed up with a piece and then you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sad thing to do, admit. Do you find though sometimes that bleeds over a little bit and you can't get excited as you're playing or do you always find The that? fact that you're playing in public is always a spur. It mm. always gives you that extra. Mm. You're playing on a different piano in a different hall to a different audience. This is in itself a new thing. So it's, it comes back to all this thing about, you know, when you're learning when you're young, your memory is very good. Mm. So what you learn when you're young, you retain. Mm. And, uh, you know, I can go back to pieces I learned in my teens 
and in my 20s, and they're still there, mm. and uh, without much effort. But maybe something, you know, I've learnt in the last 20 years quickly uh, is gone. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's gone forever, and I'd have to work very hard to get it back. So there is this kind of, you do kind of rely on your repertoire. Mm. I mean, say, Rubinstein, how many times must he have played the D-flat nocturne, mm. you know, of Chopin? He probably played it thousands and thousands of times. But it was it was always absolutely wonderful, you mm. know, because he revised it. He didn't just, he wasn't happy with it. He always touched it up and revised it. Mm. But he had a big repertoire as well. But he came back to some pieces over and over. And I think you'll do that. You, it's, it's, Brendel's talked about, you know, when you live with, you have a relationship with a piece. And that's mm. true. Mm. Uh, I'll always love the Liszt Sonata. Mm. the octaves don't get any easier but uh, you know I've always been, felt very close to that piece mm. and recently I went back to the Davies Bundlertenser of Schumann mm. and that is a Great piece, that, I, piece I, I feel very close to that piece and I'll always want to play it mm. I think that's my favourite recording of yours actually oh, thank that you. one